On this episode of The Popcorn Diet, we're chasing down a serial killer with Denzel, and we're doing it from the comfort of our own homes. That's right. We're talking the little things. Get your popcorn ready. Pass. Becomes the future. Becomes the past. I got six bodies. We haven't been under this much scrutiny since the Night Stalker. Becomes the future. Becomes the past. Why are you trying to solve a five-year-old case that everyone else has forgotten about? Becomes the past. Becomes the future. The guy worked the case so hard, he got a complete meltdown. Becomes the past. This will go on comes and on and on. Becomes the future. It's never over. The Little Things. Only in cinemas. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today? Doing great. Yeah? Gotta gotta watch a new movie Yeah. Denzel. Yeah. That wasn't a an Oscar bait movie. Nope. Which so. was like his last one. His last. Well, not really his last two because he did Fences. Yeah. He did Roman J. Esquire, Israel Esquire or whatever. Yeah. But, but uh, then he did Equalizer 2. But like, I mean, like right. the movies we've been getting lately. It's been true. Primarily Oscar movies that were supposed to come out. A little while ago, and, and now we're just getting flooded with. And we're still, like, literally all of February into March, we're going to have a lot of Oscar movies to talk about. Um, and as a matter of fact, for our next episode, not to put the cart before the horse, but we're going to be discussing the Golden Globe nominations as well as uh, our first round of Oscar predictions for the uh, for the awards season. Um, but I don't think we're going to be talking about this movie a lot during those Although it did get a Golden Globe nomination. It did get a Golden Globe nomination, which we'll talk about a little bit. So this is our kind of our first of 2021, our first HBO Max simultaneous in the theaters, in HBO Max rollout of a Warner Brothers movie. We even got the brand new Warner Brothers logo, which I always love and appreciate when we get a new logo treatment for a production studio. And we're going to talk the little things. The little things, uh, obviously, from the trailers, we're talking a little bit of a crime, cop, mystery, serial killer, possibly mystery movie with Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. That's three, count them, three Oscar winners uh, directed by John Lee Hancock, who is known for The Blind Side. He's known for, I think he did... Uh, like the Alamo, he's done quite a few things. Uh, John Lee Hancock has, and uh, before we get into that, I want before we talk about movies at home a little bit because we'll because we'll talk about the movie, we'll talk about kind of what it took to get to the big screen here. But b- before we do that, let's just clear the lane. Let's do a little ISO game, and let's just talk about Denzel. All right, and celebrate Denzel, one of the few people on the planet, in the history of man, who is on a single-name basis. Like, there, I'm, I'm not going to try and think of other ones, you know, but, like, Denzel's a big one. Spielberg, to yeah. me. You say Spielberg. That's all you need. You say Denzel. That's all you need. 
Uh, David, let's start with you. What are your overall thoughts on the greatness of Denzel? The greatness, which is undisputed. I think if I had one word, it'd be consistency. I mean, you pretty much know, and, and there can be good size, sides of that when it comes to acting and bad sides. Yes. In the sense that you can be consistently a similar character uh-huh. in all of your movies. Jason Statham, maybe. Watch your mouth. I say that with respect. <laughs> I don't mean that. That's not a bad thing. It's just he's in his lane. That's right. And I think with Denzel, he does have, you know, obviously, have we had a bad guy, Denzel? Yes. He won an Oscar for it. That's true. That's training true. Day. Yeah, training day. Yeah. See, all, all you got to do is, is step out of your comfort zone a little bit. And you win an Oscar. And you win an Oscar. <laughs> but... I mean, you look at his his IMDb as we were going through before we started. Right. There's not a lot of like bad misses. There's plenty of movies that you're like, eh, it was all right. Like it was good. There are some not great movies. There's a couple. But rarely, I don't think any of them you would walk away and be like, eh, Denzel was uh, kind of phoned that one in. Like, Never bad. He always, you know, comes to the game and 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 gives it his all. And he's, he's got a, he's a steady performer. Right. Regardless of what the team around him is. Yeah. He's going to deliver his end of the bargain. The writing may not be great. The plot may not be great. The supporting cast may not be great, but you can rely on Denzel to come through and not be bad. Absolutely. I mean, even his worst movies. And we're talking like early stuff, right? Like we're talking like Heart Condition, where he plays a lawyer ghost in a comedy with Bob Hoskins, which, may I say... How could it be bad? ...interests me very much. <laughs> like, I'm in. Are you kidding me? Sign me up for that. Or, like, Virtuosity, in which he plays a future cop who has to fight uh, a cyborg filled with a hundred different, like, serial killers mentalities played by Russell Crowe. Again, sign me up, please. Let me watch the movie. he's even his worst movies, even his ones like even his. And the crazy thing is like when we say worse, I don't really mean bad. I just mean lesser. There's greater Denzel. There's lesser Denzel. And that's just the fact of the matter. Like the fact of the matter is, is that training day Denzel is great Denzel and safe house Denzel is lesser Denzel. That doesn't make it bad. Was heart condition his last comedy? Um, no, I don't think so, because, like, you got to consider that uh, The Preacher's Wife was like a rom-com. That was a little bit of a, of a, of a romantic uh, comedy, if you will. I'll give you a, a 50-50, maybe. Safe House and Two Guns were both action movies, but they were also both funny. You know, credit where credit's due. Um, but, yeah, not a ton of comedies. He also did, uh, technically, Much Ado About Nothing is a comedy. It's Shakespeare's comedy. Uh, or one of Shakespeare's comedies. So, so he's not big into the comedies. Hasn't either. done a ton of comedies, but still, like that being said, he's kind of ca- got a. Uh, and obviously, this comparison won't be perfect. Sure, but he's kind of got like a Christian Bale, interesting type of resume where he does a good mix of like, you know, a variety of types of movies right but doesn't really change up like who he is necessarily yeah in a lot of those films like and and christian bale probably goes a little bit more to the extremes he's done the 
you know, starving himself. And, and he's intense. He's and, intense, and for you sure. don't necessarily always feel Maybe that Tom Cruise himself. is the better example versus... Yeah. Uh, except Tom Cruise has dipped into the rom-com a little bit a more little than, bit much. Than, uh, than what Denzel has. I, 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 mean, would, I would argue that he is a steadier than both of those guys. You know, like... Christian Bale, although he's waded into comedy in more recently, not necessarily like straight up comedy, but like he is funny in funny movies sure. like American Hustle or The Big Short or yeah. even Vice. Yeah. You know, like the, he's not showing up in a Muppet movie or anything, which sure. I still think would be an incredible career decision. Yep. But same thing with Denzel, you know. But the best part about Denzel is that he's mixing in the popcorn movies. Yeah. You know, like we just said at the top of this podcast, his last three movies were were Fences, Roman J. Israel Esquire, and then Equalizer The Equalizer 2. two. Well, I respect that was the, it. That was a big thing, too, because that was his first franchise. Yep. yep. First time he ever did a sequel. The first time he ever did a sequel, which is incredible. Just an incredible flex. Marvel never got, got uh, Denzel in on the... Uh, not MCU. yet. Who knows? Who knows? We bring anybody in now with the MCU. Who knows who Denzel could play? They in can like get Robert Redford. They can get Denzel. Absolutely. Like they're de-aging Mike. They're freaking de-aging Michael Douglas and getting mileage out of Michael Douglas. Like, let's go bring Denzel in. But he, the best part is he doesn't need it. Like he's still Denzel. Absolutely. I would argue that if they brought him in, he would be like the biggest superstar that they ever brought in oh like, i would agree bigger than i think the only one that would probably compete with that would be probably redford yeah and yeah that's more obviously past kind of classic you know, like classic still actor. big time superstar because they brought in like glenn close they brought in michael douglas they brought in kurt russell you could argue maybe uh what's her name from ragnarok kate blanchett yeah yeah but she's not denzel i know she's up there don't get me wrong but she's she would fall into that category of someone that you would have never guessed would have been in a Marvel movie. It's true. That's wild. That the fact that she was in that that Marvel movie, like it's insane. Oh, lest we forget, guess who's playing the villain in the next Thor movie? Our boy Christian Bale. So Denzel, yeah. it's time. <laughs> it's time yeah. to go. But he doesn't need it, and I think that that's what's so exciting is that he doesn't need it. I think the last Denzel, he's actually not been working a ton. You know, he's done. Three movies as an actor in the past four years. So I guess that's fine. You know, it depends on who we who we hold up against those. I mean, he's worked pretty consistently. He's got a movie a year for two, three decades practically. Um, and even there's been a couple years he's missed, but, but he, he also had two the year before exactly. or the year after. So. It's like his averages is like he's batting a it, one average. It almost average. feels like he just doesn't want to work on more than one movie at a time. It's just doing his thing. You know, he doesn't. I love it. You know, and he's doing more producing. He's doing more directing. Like he directed Fences. He produced it. He produced all of his last three movies, um, I believe, including this one. No, did not produce this one. But I just am always in awe of Denzel. And the last one we talked about was Fences, where he was nominated for another Oscar. Uh, and Viola Davis won, and he was directing. And that was one of those. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in some of our uh, Oscar primers this year. But Fences was one of those stage adaptations where it's literally set in like one area. It's set in and around the porch, front porch and back porch of a house. Uh, and that was a Denzel that we really haven't seen before. That was 
old son of a bitch Denzel. That was real. I don't know how to describe him, but as as just old tough son of a bitch Denzel, which is kind of a play on Coach Boone from Remember the Titans, but with all of the 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 meanness of Alonzo from Training Day, you know, and. I don't know. I don't want to say that it was like nothing Denzel had done before because obviously I just compared it to do things, two things he, he did before. But I also like what he did in this movie as well, which is this it feels like a Denzel that we haven't seen before. There are parts of this Denzel that are haunted that we haven't seen before. And every once in a while, movie star Denzel pops out again. You know, guy who's just like afraid of nobody. And that's really exciting. Um, before we get into that, before we talk a little bit more about the movie, though, I want to ask you just real quick. I don't have a list. I don't have anything in front of me. What are a couple of your favorite Denzel movies? I think my favorite, not that I would say it's his best movie, but my favorite movie is probably Man on Fire. Okay. Okay. I'm a big fan of Creasy. Creasy's art is death and he's about to paint his masterpiece. Exactly. Um, we full disclosure. We pulled. We were pulling up that clip before we started absolutely. this podcast. It's incredible, incredible Denzel, incredible Christopher Walken. What else? If you had to build like a top three, just gun to your head, no research. You got Man on Fire. What else you got? I think for me, I would also have. I'm a big Remember the Titans fan. Yep. So I'm. I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of him in that. I low key really enjoy. Inside Man, big fan of Inside Man. Incredible movie. Incredible movie. Inside Absolutely. Man is so good. I, which funny enough, those were within two years of each other. So there was a good run of Denzel for me. And then I think if I was to go back to older movies, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I get torn. I mean, movies I've seen a lot. I was always into the John Grisham movies. Yep. So I, I enjoyed Pelican Brief. Yep. Courage Under Fire, Can't Go Wrong There. Love He Got Game. He Got Game. Jesus. Yep. So good. I mean, that's the thing with Denzel is you can pick anything out of his filmography and make a case for it. Yeah. You know? I mean, even his worst ones, you can make a case for it. And that's what I like about Probably it. one of his most underrated ones because it's just an underrated movie in general. Mm-hmm. Unstoppable. Very good movie. One of Tarantino's favorites. Yep. Excellent movie. Excellent regular guy. Basically, just give me Denzel and Tony Scott together, and I'm good. Pour one out for Tony Scott, sadly. But yeah, like that was a match made in heaven. That was a movie that produced, one could argue, no stinkers, but I think the taking of Pelham 123 would probably be considered a stinker. But I still love what's going on in that movie. Some real wild ass Travolta is in that movie. Um, who, doesn't, Den- who doesn't love when Travolta I'm goes in. weird? Travolta goes full cage in that movie, which yeah. I love and is rare. <laughs> um, that's a good, I mean, it's a good number. So what'd you say? You said Man on Fire. I think my my top three that always come to mind. Okay. Because I know three may, that I'm going to say. Would be Remember the Titans. It would be Man on Fire. Yep. Inside Man. Okay. And then probably, I, I mean... We I'm a five. big fan of Training Day. It's incredible. Too. Incredible. I'll just go with those four. Okay. I like those four. Um, 
so my favorite Denzel is Crimson Tide. Like, that's mm. my top. Okay. Uh, personal speaking. Crimson Tide is an incredible movie that I can watch anytime I want. And him going toe-to-toe with Gene Hackman, a loaded cast. Also, Tony Scott, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, I think that was his first one with Tony Scott, was it? Yeah, it might have been his first one with Tony Scott. Incredible. Just, like, fantastic movie. Um, I'm also going to say Malcolm X because Malcolm X is every version of Denzel that you know of from his career. And it's all in the earlier part of his career. You know, that's like that's like his 12th movie he was in or something like that. But we got like young, naive Denzel. We got scared Denzel. We got romantic Denzel. We got angry Denzel. We got peaceful Denzel. We got all, like, it's incredible. Like, it, nothing, there is no amount of words that I can tell you how good Malcolm X is. I highly recommend people watch it again. Uh, I'll admit I just recently watched it and it hyped me up, but it's on HBO Max right now. Um, so those two are my favorite. And then I, I was going to say uh, Training Day as well because that's the full spectrum of Denzel. You know, that's that's everything about it. But I'll, I'll also give shouts out to um, particularly Glory, like that movie and Denzel in that movie is transformative. Um and I want to give a shout out. This is by no means like my favorite Denzel. Like I like John Q. Denzel better than this movie. I like Equalizer Denzel better than this movie. Shit, I'm like Two Guns Denzel better than this movie. But Ricochet, which is uh, just before Malcolm X, is an insane movie. It's insane. It's dirty and grimy and freaking weird and messed up. And it's about Denzel, who's a cop who puts away psychopath John Lithgow, who is always a good time. And then when psychopath John Lithgow gets out, Denzel's like the DA or the assistant DA or whatever. And Lithgow just spends the entire movie ruining his life in, in the most convoluted nonsense ways. Um, and it's just a nasty movie. And I love it that it's so weird and messed up. So Ricochet, check out Ricochet uh, for some quality Denzel. Um, but yeah, we love Denzel. It's one of the reasons I was excited about this movie. So, David, neither of us saw this movie on the big screen. Correct. We both decided to take a pass on it. Yep. Did you have any particular reasoning behind it, or is it just it just didn't seem like one of those movies that we needed to go to the theaters for? So, my biggest reason why I haven't been going to the movies as much is I've got a, some kids as <laughs> we've as we've touched on this. I always forget. This and is a very fair point. Right now, movie theaters aren't doing the late showings. Like for me, oh, that's true. I was, I used to catch movies for the podcast at like nine, ten o'clock at night. Uh-huh. And right now, most movie theaters, the last showing is seven o'clock. Maybe, maybe you got like an eight or eight thirty sure. on a weekend, but sure. they're not showing. They're not doing the late show times th- right now. Hard and for you to get out there. So. I can't really make any of the show times and I didn't really think this one would be suitable for a four year old. So <laughs> I decided not to bring them with me. And it's I fair. and I hear it's discouraged to leave kids four and under home alone. So I was yeah. kind of out of options. Plus I didn't feel like paying a babysitter, you know, forty, fifty bucks for me to go check check out a movie. Right. So 
that was kind of uh, where I was at. Which there. I have to imagine echoes the sentiment of many people in the country who get to benefit from a real live, like non bullshit, actual studio movie. Not like a Netflix mm-hmm. movie that was made by an algorithm that's only mostly okay. But like a legit movie with actual filmmakers behind it, giant movie stars behind it, a movie that was intended for the theaters, and they get it right there on HBO Max. And that's pretty sweet. I think I've talked about as much as I have the existential, like, constant dread of the movie theater experience, it's rad that you got to do that because your options were limited. And frankly, like, I was fine skipping the theater for this one, you know, I, I, it's a smaller movie. It's a more contemplative movie. It's not big. It's not big explosions or anything like that. Not that going to the theater and being able to get hyper-focused on it wouldn't have been an absolute joy because it's one of my favorite things to do in the world. But ultimately, like I decided it's on HBO max. So there it is. Um, I did a little bit of research. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but this movie has been in, what's the word I'm looking for? Development, I guess for 30 years. John Lee Hancock wrote this movie in 93, I think, and almost got Spielberg to direct it. (laughs) And obviously it didn't happen. So we had Spielberg, we had Eastwood, Warren Beatty was attached at one point, Danny DeVito was attached at one point. And what's crazy is like, I mean, we'll talk about the movie in a little bit, but it's kind of funny that this movie is is a passion project for John Lee Hancock. Um... And you know what? Hats off to the guy. He got it made. And he got it made with three Oscar winners. And that I got to I got to say that that's pretty impressive, honestly. Um I wanted to ask you a question. All right. And just kind of pick your brain for a second. But I wanted to ask you what you think is a good barometer to measure successes or failures. In, in the current movie world that we live in. Because I bring this question up because box office isn't nowhere anywhere near what it used to be in a number of ways. The theater experience is nowhere near what it used to be when it was when everything was popping off. Mm-hmm. And none of these streaming services, I think I don't believe any of them have the obligation to accurately report viewership. You know, that's kind of been a longstanding like almost joke is that Netflix will come out and they'll say, we had 80 million views of our movie over the three-day weekend, except we all know based on previous statements by them that their count of a quote-unquote view is extremely generous. Like, apparently you have to be watching a movie for like five minutes or 15 minutes and that's it. Suddenly it's a view. So I wanted to ask you what you think successes are in in this in this climate and and what your idea is of of a quote-unquote successful movie. Well, I think, to your point, it's a little less defined right now because we don't have something like a box office. So I think you're stuck going with some imperfect ways of judging it Right. with things like cinema score, which little things is a B-minus. Sure, which is not... With cinema score, B-minus is not great. No. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, we're forty-eight percent with critics, sixty-four percent with audience score. So like little split. It gives you basically what Cinema Score tells you, which is this is basically it's f- despite the cast, kind of a B movie. Yeah, it's okay. And I think that you know, and we'd have to go through a lot of different examples sure. to to see whether we feel like 
that mythology is holds up, you know, kind of looking at that with these movies that are just coming out for streaming. Sure. And I can almost guarantee you it probably won't fully hold up. But you're looking at like something like One Night in Miami, which I know you watched not yes. too long ago, is 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm sure if we went on cinema score, it's probably an A or an A plus or something right. like that. So right. I think those are good indicators for like, was this a well done movie? Like overall. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the success, I mean, no one really knows that except for the creators and the platforms that are launching them because they will analyze views and subscriptions and, you know, obviously box office and Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And they will evaluate and say this was a success or failure. But I think to the general public, like we don't really it's hard to for the general public to really feel like, oh, this movie was a flop. This movie was a good movie. This right. movie performed well. Like usually, like you'll see on Twitter or you'll see headlines, right? And it'll talk about like so and so flops at the box office right. or is a big disappointment. Like you can't really do that right now because we don't really have an equal playing field or like a barometer, right? That like anybody can say whether it was or not. People can say this was a good movie. This was a bad movie. But calling it a flop is really difficult right sure, now. Sure, exactly. And that's a really interesting point you make is that usually these box office numbers and box office reporting and word of, like that's all part of the word of mouth. Like, guess what? You're going to get more people to go to a movie if you can report that it made $100 million last weekend. More people are going to come show up. You can have repeat viewers and you have new viewers. Less people will show up if you say, oh, it tanked. It only got $4 million. Well, then people will say, oh, well, it's not good enough. I'll wait till later. There's nothing here with that. Nope. There's just reviews and immediate reactions, and that's it. And then it just disappears. I think there's some other creative ways of, of gauging it that I'm sure some of the industry is doing. And I think uh, Maybe. one of the sites that we track for like uh, box office projections yes. did this. But like social media buzz okay. is something that, again, is not a definite like gauge, but like it's nice. To, it's it's easy to kind of see how much are people talking about this, sure. good or bad. Sure. The more people are talking about it, the more people are thinking about seeing it, the yes. more people that you would assume have seen it, you know, and even if everybody on the Internet is ripping it and saying this movie's terrible. Right. That still means there's a ton of people that watched it and right. so you can kind of calculate or fill that in to how well a movie is doing versus another like if there's 14,000 mentions a day mm-hmm. for one movie and there's 20,000 mentions a day for another movie probably the movie that has the 20,000 mentions is, is the movie that's doing better right exactly um i wanted to do a real quick thing before we get into non-spoilers here i tried to do some math Uh-oh. okay and I tried to figure out almost like what what the percentage of the hit that that quote unquote box office is actually taking. And so I started with Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984 because I figure a blockbuster with a measurable like opening and stuff like that like would be a good sort of baseline to establish. So with Wonder Woman, it made one hundred and three million dollars. Wonder Woman and its opening weekend, Wonder Woman made sixteen and a half million. That's a difference of almost 84%. So it made 84% less money 
on its opening weekend. Now, what's important is that it was also in nearly 50% less theaters, and it had almost a 70% per theater drop, okay? So all of those numbers are down, right? And they all kind of equate. So again, almost 50% less theaters, almost 70% per theater drop, and an eight, nearly 84% total drop in box office opening weekend from Wonder Woman to Wonder Woman 1984. That's not to say anything about the quality of the film or anything like that. We're just saying that's a close measurement of to what happened. So what I did is I looked up Denzel's, I looked up a movie that was released around the same time last year, kind of a mid-sized success, uh, which was Birds of Prey. And then I also looked up Denzel's last movie, which was The Equalizer 2. Okay, now going off those same barometers, going off of theater difference, going off of uh, the, the, the number of theaters that it's being shown in, going off of the number of m amount of money it's making per theater and the amount of money it made for the weekend, it kind of follows that same pattern, right? So for like Equalizer, it's overall box office, uh, uh, the little things overall box office compared to Equalizer's opening weekend was like an 86% difference. That's pretty close to what Wonder Woman 84 was to Wonder Woman. Uh, the theater drop was a little less significant. It was about a 34 per, or 36% difference. So Equalizer 2 was in 3,300 theaters. This was in 2,100 theaters. So that's a drop of about 34%. Um, and then the per screen average was more than what, uh, what Wonder Woman was. It was like a 79% drop in per screen average. Suffice it to say, like, again, we're looking at, I'll just be generous, we're looking at around an 80% drop in opening box office numbers. Just based on those two examples. Obviously, I need more examples. I need to build more examples. Compared to Birds of Prey, it had another around 88% drop. But that's kind of the number that I wanted to throw out there, just around that 80% in terms of what the box office is missing out on, sure. theoretically. And that's crazy to me. Well, the other crazy thing to me, and I don't know if you've seen this, is that you have studios actually re-releasing like old movies. All the time, because like, they're holding like, their new ones. Like this last movie, this last weekend, with the little things, the movie's... There was two movies that were re-released. Sony re-released Groundhog Day. Yep. In 845 theaters, and um, Disney re-released Remember the Titans. Capitalize <laughs> on the Denzel hey, that's, audience. That's smart, Disney. And End of Football in 730 theaters. Right. So, you know, those aren't like massive theater numbers, no. but like. For Groundhog Day to be in 845 theaters right. across the country, like right. that's a ton. Because usually we're talking around anywhere between 4,000 and like 4,500 theaters. Yeah. Like one of the largest openings worldwide is like 4,300 theaters. Mm -hmm. So that's like that's a fifth of all theaters in the country. Yeah. Like that's not... A small number for freaking no. Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah, for so, a movie that's been out for 30 years. It's it's interesting. Now, maybe we'll be able to do a little bit more box office analysis. Not that it was ever a big deal on this on this show, but maybe we'll get to do a little bit more as we see more movies coming out. With all that being said, David, how'd you like the movie? How did you like the little things? I, I'll say that I think the ratings and the things that we've talked about thus far are probably warranted. Fairly I accurate. I think it's a movie with 
solid performances. Yes. I think Rami Malek felt a little miscast in his role. Woefully miscast. Yeah. Like I was I was giving him a little a uh, little bit of love, but yeah, he just seems out of place. Like he seems he's like he's in the wrong role. Yes. Like <laughs> one could argue actually as as good as I think Jared Leto does a he does a solid job yeah. with the role. He's, he's weird. He's, he's very weird and very entertaining. But like honestly, like I think Jared Leto might have been better in Rami Malek's role. It and Rami Malek would have been better in Jared Leto's role. Right. And people might have even people might have even received it better because people feel like Jared Leto's always weird. It's it's true. <laughs> Not that Rami Malek hasn't been weird a lot too. That's the thing, is like Rami Malek. I just you can't he can't play normal roles. I appreciate the effort here of of trying to step outside, you know, kind of his shtick right. and like do kind of like a pretty straightforward like character. normal golden boy detective role. Exactly. But he just You're not made for that, right? Doesn't Malik. pull it out. You're not made for it. You know, Denzel's Denzel. Like we talked about, I think we t- you know, I mentioned consistency is something that steady, comes to mind with steady Denzel. Hand, and yep. that's what he is here. Like he's not you're not going to pull out any like great monologues from this this movie of Denzel's. No. But at the same time like he definitely carries this movie at times. Mm-hmm. Especially when Leto's not around. There's there's definitely some performance value uh coming from Denzel. He's picking up Rami a little bit in mm-hmm. my opinion. And the story obviously feels a little familiar. You know, you hear all those things online about how it's similar to that of Seven. And yeah. we won't get into spoilers because we're not in spoilers. It's, it's not. similar to most serial killer detective who is this yeah. movies. You know, there's some twists in that. I, I don't know that the twists are like, oh my gosh, type of twists. No. But they're, you know, they're. Like they're fine. They're fine. It's nice to see the story unfold and unravel. Yeah, a I, bit. I think you know when I, knowing that I streamed this movie on a subscription service that I already had access to, I was happy with the satisfied. two. I was satisfied with the two hours I spent. It yes. kept my attention. I, I wasn't like it didn't really drag in my opinion too bad. Right. Um, which I think if you're gonna do like kind of a thriller type movie like. That's important. Like a thriller, sh- <laughs> a thriller should never drag. You got to based keep, off of the name. Yeah, you got to keep the clues coming. You got to the case has to continue. Exactly, you know? and so I, I enjoyed it. I think you know if you've got a couple hours to spare, like you can do worse for sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's not a huge glowing review for it, but at the same time, like I'm not going to make this out to be some masterpiece either. No, it's not a masterpiece. It's it's fine. Like, it's fine. And like you said, as somebody who already subscribes to HBO Max, who's already paying the monthly subscription, I could spend way worse time spending spending two hours, you yeah. know? Would, would I give a different review if I went to a movie theater and had to pay mo- extra money and have to throw 50 bucks down on a night with snacks and all that kind of stuff? Like, maybe I'd give it a little bit worse review because that was a little bit more of a financial investment yeah. and a, an investment of time and whatever. But, like, I had a fine time with it. Yeah. Like I thought it was good. I thought it was different than it was different than what I expected. It's not really a crime movie per se. It's more of like a contemplative, like mystery. I guess it's kind psychological of. in some degree. A lot of psychological stuff here because more of the evolution of the movie comes on like the 
psychological level right and the effects it has on right. you know the characters in the movie than necessarily like this is a super complex case yeah like that we're ooh, a clue solve. like there's not really no like anything like that there's not much csi level uh type of mystery in no. here or discovery there's some decent detective work that doesn't it doesn't go beyond like talking to a guy in a in a appliance store yeah uh, there's no like crazy thing that breaks open the case or whatever. It's solidly directed. Like John Lee Hancock does a solid job. I think it's moody. Like I think it does a really, really interesting job of like showing LA in a way that makes it feel small. Like it feels like a smaller town case, even though he's in LA County. Um, and there is some really good stuff from, like, Denzel, emotionally speaking. I don't think we've seen a Denzel like this who's kind of old and weathered and is, is carrying a lot of baggage for himself in this movie. And the way they explore that baggage is probably the most interesting part because you can't quite get a bead yeah. on what they're trying to do. And eventually it all comes into play. And that's sure. when Rami Malek seems the most miscast because uh, I guess this is a small spoiler, but, like, he's normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, yeah, like the whole first half of the movie, I kept being like, all right, what's this guy's deal? And yeah. it's like, oh, he's a family man. He loves his job. He's passionate. Like he should have been played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt or somebody, yeah. you know, but this is a random. I don't I want to know whether you're what your thoughts are on. Did you find the music to be a little I don't know if it was a little loud or a little distracting? Like I felt like they were going a little heavy on like the like neo-noir like there are background music at times like when they're driving around like it seems like i didn't actively notice it in the movie yeah but i listened to thomas newman's soundtrack yeah and it is a lot it like, is <laughs> i like the last couple of tracks because the last couple of tracks are a little bit more measured out and those yeah. are during the part of the movie where like things are slowly coming into reveal things are settling down and stuff but I can't listen to like eighty percent of that soundtrack because it's it's a there's, lot. There was a couple scenes when they're like driving around, and I felt like it was like a little too loud. And I also <laughs> felt like it was like one of those classic detective shows where like all of a sudden you're gonna hear like Denzel doing a monologue over like the background uh -huh. music. And they throw in some like classic tunes as well, which yep. I noticed a lot more. Like I noticed like oh they're playing this oldies song. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. They, that was a little. A lot a of oldie of songs that they as did. well. Also, I had which a, is actually part of the story too. They have it is. I had a really fun time, like basically trying to figure out when the movie was set because mm. I think it opens and saying says, says it's 1990, but mm. I wasn't sure if like there's a time jump or if there was something that was different or whatever. And then eventually, like they go into the police office and like there's the guy's got a pager. I'm like, oh, this is the 90s. Like yeah. I got it. This is. The I 90s. think it might have been just so. Denzel could wear his 80s detective suit for the flashback scene. <laughs> he does get the 80s detective suit. It's like a purple, like uh -huh. his typical, like oversized pants, you know. There's like. a lot of analog in this movie, which is another reason why I think like there's no cell phones. There's no computers. Like it's all mm -hmm. old school. There's pay phone, a lot of pay phones. A lot of pay phones. There's pagers happening. There's a lot of large box televisions and old transistor radios. I mean, it makes sense because... We talked about this movie was written in 1993. It's true, and they didn't so try to age it up at all. They didn't try to evolve it. He said, screw it. He literally said, here's the script. <laughs> we wrote it in 93. When's this movie set? 93. When was it written? 93. And okay. The, fun the funny thing is, the more you think about it, like, this 
could very much be a movie from the 90s. Like, Absolutely. If I think about like some of the movies, even some of the Denzel movies, like this could fit in with Pelican and Brief. And that's what <laughs> makes it feel so familiar, which yeah. your mileage may vary on that. Yeah. So, Well, we I want to talk spoilers a little bit more because I think we have some fun, interesting things to talk about. But before we do, obviously, we got to do our popcorn ratings. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never listened to an episode of the Popcorn Diet Podcast before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. Instead of thumbs up or stars, we have a popcorn scale. Burnt popcorn means a movie is trash, absolute garbage, don't waste your time. Stale popcorn means a movie is not great. It's it's maybe helpful in a pinch if you don't have anything else around to watch. Stale popcorn is acceptable at the bare minimum. Microwave popcorn is fine. It's your mileage may vary on microwave popcorn. Sometimes microwave popcorn can hit the spot and be very good, and sometimes it can leave you unsatisfied. Movie theater popcorn is when we think a movie is worth your time. It's worth going to a movie theater, or in this case, it's worth investing your time in to watch the movie. And then perfect popcorn means if you can, go see it on the biggest screen possible, or if you can, watch it immediately because it's really good. So for my popcorn ratings for the little things, I'm going to just give it a solid microwave popcorn. Like, it's fine. It's not. It's inoffensive. It's not bad. It's it's not world changing. It's familiar. It's if you like a detective story, it's fine. You might not like come out of it the most satisfied, but there is way worse that you can do right now. So for the little things, good performances, a familiar story, check it out if you absolutely want to. I mean, it's on HBO Max right now. You and I said it already. There's worse ways to spend your your two hours. What about you, David? What is your popcorn rating? For the little things, I'm gonna go. Ooh. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go stale popcorn. Okay, and, and, a, and a soda. Okay, I forgot about the soda. Anytime we're in the middle of something, we throw a soda in there. It's basically our version of half a star. It has been a hot minute since we've gotten a stale popcorn from either of I us. I think. I think. I have. I don't know that I've given a stale popcorn. I think you're the only one that's given one. I think I've given stale to like. I think I gave it to like Dumbo or Christopher Robin, if I could. Yeah, think, I if, think it might have been Christopher Robin. If I had to think of one, this is interesting. I like this. Okay. So for me, it it mostly had to do with a couple of things. First off, Rami just was bad. Like he was just Rami's worst enemy was the casting director. Like I just was not convinced that he was a good detective. No. And, like, they were playing him up to be, like, the hot shot. Like, the the chief even says, like, the only good thing about him going away is that we got you out of it. And, and it's, it's like... Yeah? Really? And, like, even, like, the way he, like, works the scene in, like, the one uh-huh. work the scene scene, it's just... I'm not convinced that this <laughs> is some, like, all-star detective. And, like... It just and it probably to your point was first on the casting director and second maybe on how that character's written to yeah. some degree. Yeah, but it was. It, I think he was the biggest distraction for me, and then a lot of it had to do with just this is a very familiar story. It is, and there's just a lot of ones like this that I would watch well in front of it, and so for me. 
Denzel, and I think that's where in this situation when Denzel plays a little bit different character, when he's not quite his like like my he- man. hero Denzel, yeah. like he's not like his badass Denzel, like right. when you don't have that, like with even if, I mean Equalizer was a good movie, sure. Um, Taking Pelham, one, two, three. But like in some of these movies that are maybe not the best movies, but like Denzel is like Denzel. kicking butt and, and being Denzel. Sure. Like that can like make up for a lot of missteps. Mm-hmm. But like because Denzel's kind of more of like an introspective, low key, low key, a yeah. little bit down in the dumps, like there's not that like charisma, like in That's his fair. traditional sense. That's fair. You don't really have that to fall back on. Right. And like I like Jared Leto, I think he does a good job. But he's not in as much of the movie as you think. No, he's the most entertaining part. He's still, even the little parts that he's in, he's a wacko. And he's a wacko. And he very much does a good job of being a character that you do not like. Yes. And so even that, it's like, I didn't really walk away from it being like very satisfied. That's true. It's not a very satisfying movie. So microwave popcorn for me, stale popcorn and a soda for you. I want to talk a little bit more about what you're talking about, but before we get into spoilers, we got to take a quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, We don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, PopcornDietPodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, we're back. So let's talk spoilers, David. I don't even know where to start. I don't even want to continue on with that. Let's talk about how not satisfying this movie is, okay? This movie is not about finding the killer, And that's what most of these movies are about. This movie is way more about the baggage that weighs on you as you go through life, as you go through these things. So Denzel's whole thing is that back when he was chasing a serial killer some years back, uh, he accidentally shot one of the victims that was still alive and snuck up on him, basically. Like, Like, come help me. And he turns around, cracks one off, kills her. And the police department... Uh, his buddy and the coroner Mm -hmm. and uh, I was two of his buddies, I guess help cover that up Mm -hmm. and he's got to live with that. That's a weight on his soul. That is Mm -hmm. a haunting. He's haunted by that on his soul. And we're told that it drove him crazy. Like we're told that he had heart attacks, that he, he, he had a nervous breakdown. We're seeing that it ruined his family or whatever. And so this movie is about like those things. And, I mean, I don't even know. 
Rami Malek winds up taking Jared Leto out to some field, winds up killing Jared Leto accidentally, accidentally mm-hmm. this time. And now that is one of the little things that's like on his soul. Yeah. Right. And it's basically seven. Mm-hmm. But it's sat seven without knowing. Like, imagine if it was seven, but you didn't know Gwyneth Paltrow's head was in the box and you didn't know if Kevin Spacey really did it. Yeah. That's not very satisfying. No. It's a, it's an interesting idea to try and make a movie out of, but it's a movie. Like, we got we to gotta send the crowd home with something that they can grab onto. Well, and, and I, I feel like it would have been more satisfying... And I and I and I hesitate to some point because like a movie is not like like a movie creator does not have to make a movie that gives you a satisfying ending or the ending that you want. Absolutely. But I feel like a more effective ending would have been the audience knowing whether or not he did it, like Jared Leto was the killer. Right. But the characters not knowing it and like what they do to cover it up. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and all of that. It's kind of like Zodiac in a way. Like, but Zodiac is an incredible film and it's an yeah. incredibly satisfying film, even though you never find out who killed who the Zodiac is, like real yeah. life. And I think I think again, like not to beat up on Rami too much, but like I think part of this is like <laughs> they don't really build him up to be this character that like you feel this attachment to and you feel like you're really rooting for Rami is too creepy for you to get behind him. He yeah. was, as so Fre- like he was too creepy as Freddie Mercury. He's too creepy in this movie. He should just play bond villains. He, Please God. He doesn't come off as like, like they try to do the family scenes right. to show him as a husband, right. show him as a father, show like this good traditional life. Right. But like, even when you're first intro to him, he's being a, a dick to he's a jerk to he's Denzel a, a wanting to tow his car and telling him he blocked him in like he's aggressive. So like the very first introduction we get to him is like he's kind of a jerk. Yes. But then and he does his press conference and Denzel kind of gets back at him. Uh huh. And then like his whole like invite him to the scene like I want to see this. Right. You know, supposed like great detective in action. Like, that all seems very sarcastic. Right. And so you never really feel whether you know that, like, does Rami's character actually like Denzel's character? And then you get, like, the at-home scene where, like, he seems kind of like a good dad. He never seems comfortable. Like, you're giving him a lot of credit. I'm just going to break this down. He doesn't have the face for it. Yeah. Like, his face, I don't know if it's his acting, because we already know he's a good actor. Yeah. But his face, his eyes, the bags under his eyes, the, the shape of his mouth, the cut of his jaw, like he just looks like somebody who is under the surface ready to do some some sick shit. Or, and so like even in the home when he's like sitting there with his wife and kids, like are you I, – I ask myself like is he happy? Like is <laughs> yeah. he enjoying his time? Because yeah. he looks like he's about to punch a hole in the wall every time, you know? Yeah. And he's just creepy looking. And he, and when you have a guy like that, you can never fully... And, and again, it sucks that I'm just like, Rami Malek's a creepy looking guy, so his character doesn't work. But honestly, it keeps you from investing well, in his character. And he's so stoic like in nature. like Even like when he's having that meltdown as he's digging the holes, like you don't really feel like he's any different from... The start of the digging the holes to the end of the digging. I the know holes. it's because he's not wearing his tie anymore. 
that's all I got. <laughs> that's all you got. So like, yeah, I and I think like that's what t- brings this movie down so much. And again, like it's not that I'm a Rami Malek hater. I think he's great in in Mr. Robot. I think he's um, good in a lot of stuff. I, I liked him good in, in Bond. I liked him in Need for Speed. I liked him in Short Turn Twelve. I liked him in Twilight. I didn't. That's a joke. He that was last in Twilight. Joke. Yeah, he was in Twilight. Interesting. Anyways, so that being said, I think he was in he was in freaking Three Night at the Museum movies, so you know he knows how to have a good time. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know, man. It just didn't work. Yeah, and even the ending. You know, you have the ending. Obviously, they bury the guy. They put Jared Leto. Denzel covers up for him. In a hole. You know, there's this whole concept that's been going through it of the little things will get you caught. Right. The little things no one ever really gets caught. And then you also have this whole, like, angels spiel that Denzel's character has been giving about how, like, there are no angels. We all make mistakes. Like, you can't keep putting yourself in that position where, like, you always have to do something right. Right. And like, obviously we know that that's tying back to what he did, what he did. Right. And, you know, in essence, he ends up playing the angel for Rami in Mm -hmm. the sense that he removes that guilt by sending him the barrette, which again, we don't ever know whether Jared Leto was the killer or not. So we don't know whether he killed an innocent man or not. Right. But Denzel basically sets it up to make Make Rami be at peace and think, Okay, I did I did the right even though I didn't do it the right way and we covered it up the wrong way, like that guy buried in the desert right. was guilty. Right. So I feel okay or I feel better. It helps he's he goes to be that angel to help Rami absolve himself of the sin that he never got the chance to absolve himself for. Yeah. Like he always had the weight of the other people covering on him. He always had the weight of what he did on him because Denzel straight up there was no question. He accidentally shot a victim and killed her. Yeah. And everybody knew that it was an accident and everybody knew that it was uh that Denzel was a good guy and so they covered up for him no matter how bad it was, right? Well, and like you said in this movie, Rami's all about like, did you find a red beret a beret at the at Jared Leto's house because she always ran in a red barrette and that's yeah. what we're looking for evidence. And the movie like makes you think that maybe Denzel finds it. Yeah. And then Denzel sends the barrette to Rami at the end yep. to absolve him. And then at the very end, you see Denzel throw a new pack of barrettes that's yeah. missing a red clip into a fire to get rid of the evidence. So you know that the killer, there was no red beret. And the odds are is that Jared Leto wasn't really the killer. Yeah. He says as much, and whether or not you can trust him is is up to you, but... And, and this may be getting nitpicky, I, too. I liked that, though. Like, Yeah, I was fine with that in concept. But it's not satisfying for a movie that pays so much attention to the case. But I also think they made too many pump fakes at that whole concept, too. Because he breaks in the first time, right. gets into the box, sees some of it, uh-huh. but doesn't have enough time to go through all of it. Right. So he closes it, gets out of there. Then you have the scene of him when he's packed everything up into the trash bags, uh-huh. and he opens that box again, but we don't get to see whether it's in there. Which, and then, sh- shout out to the movie trailer, because I thought the movie trailer was like giving it all away, and that yeah. Denzel was a killer. Yeah. Good swerve, I'll admit. And then... You have when he's putting the stuff in the barrel and they go for another last pump fake, which is he gets the toolbox, opens it up and it's empty. Right. 
and you're like, oh. okay, this is the third time we've seen this thing, and it doesn't have anything of value in it. Uh-huh. And he throws it in there, and then finally he goes and gets the store-bought right. thing of Barrett's. But it's like, also you, you that, pump faked a lot at that. And that, then the other thing is, is like, are we supposed to feel bad for Denzel because he's legitimately killed an innocent person like i know it was an accident sure but like he never had to face any consequence other than carrying the guilt obviously with it like which i mean listen like i guess the movie says that that's bad enough i suppose i don't know yeah but like those the family of those people like never got to hear the truth about it he also now passed on this guilt to the captain, the, the coroner, all those the people freaking that movie are affected ends, by it. The freaking movie ends with a girl still missing. Like the coroner kept the bullet <laughs> yeah. to remind her of like what they covered up. Like wow. this isn't like not only did he get out of you know what probably would have not been much other than the humiliation of losing his job and obviously the guilt that would go with it, but like. I feel like he probably would have been better off because he took a job in North County being basically like a glorified clerk. Right. Assistant deputy sheriff. Yeah, like or just being a messenger. Go boy. run and get some evidence. Like, I feel like his life would have been a whole lot happier had they just owned up to it. Maybe. It was a mistake that happened. I mean, cops get away with anything now. You can kill cops kill innocent people all the time. Nobody cares. But I mean, that happening in that scene, like, again, like, I think you're probably facing, you know, third degree manslaughter or something like sure, that. Sure. You're probably, you're obviously losing your badge, most likely. Nope. You, he and, would definitely be a cop again. Like, definitely. But, like, in the real world, in the movie world, it would, you would say, like, get, give me your badge and your gun. In the real world, he would still be a cop. I don't know. I, I, we I'm a cynic. We won't I'm, go into that debate, but, uh, <laughs> But, but regardless, right. like I think you're right. I think he chose a worse resolution, <laughs> right, with what happened, right. And a lot of people do that. There are a lot of times in movies where people make that snap judgment. I mean, f- think about. I mean, this is dumb. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but think about like I know what you did last summer, where the Freddie Prince is driving. They legitimately accidentally kill, like hit a guy, yeah. and the whole reason they decide to throw the body away is because like. Oh, they'll never believe you. I wasn't driving or what. Like, just do the right thing. And there are tons of movies out there about people who refuse to do the right thing for whatever reason, for panic or for self-preservation or whatever. So I don't necessarily think that the self-preservation part and that decision, like, was a negative on it at all. And I appreciated the way that they slowly unveiled it. Like, they slowly unveiled that, that flashback. Yeah. But at at the end of the day, it's I, think, I don't know. I think I also just have issues with movies where I don't know who I'm supposed to be cheering for. That's also another issue with this like, movie. I mean, clearly Denzel, but but why am I cheering for him? Right, like <laughs> right. Am I like at, they kind of sell you the entire movie that like this is a redemption story? He's finally gonna find the killer. That yeah. was in that case that he could never solve that wrecked his career because he right. you know, went nuts trying to solve it. Right. When really, like the it's reason still- he went nuts and all that kind of stuff is because he killed someone at the crime scene. Like right. 
I don't think he'd be still thinking about it as like the one that got away had right. he not shot someone at that scene. Well, that's and it still is a redemption story. But to you, it's like there's still all these underlying factors of like a family whose daughter isn't show, isn't shown up again. Yeah. Or what have you that there's still and a even lot of- potentially if Jared Leto didn't do it and he's just a creep like and again, like not that he's a very like I feel bad for Jared Leto. No, but like that man should be locked up. <laughs> he's a psychopath. Like he's literally like, I love Jared Leto in this movie. He is on some next level weirdo shit. Super into everything that he's doing, just because it's so interesting. But like, like guys like that are where I say like, I wish people could be locked up for being aggressive weirdos. You know, like Rick's taking a lot of hot takes today. It's a lot of hot takes. But this guy, like, if you show a guy. A bunch of murder pictures and he gets a heart on like that man should be in jail. OK, <laughs> like if he's if he's flashing around these murder pictures and like, oh, catch a tiger by its toe or like, ooh, this is interesting <laughs> or whatever. Like put the man in a cell. He's clearly not helpful to society. <laughs> he's a problem. What are you talking about? He's a uh, appliance repair person. He's a, I, I just was like. I just again, it's just like you're so aggressively weird that you should not be allowed around. I also feel like they did a piss poor job of following up on that repair angle. Right. Like it shouldn't have been that hard to figure out whether he went right to her apartment as part of like being dispatched to it. Like I know they crossed it off as a cancellation. Right. But like, but still, it shouldn't have been that hard to track down and say like, okay, like, did he actually go and then just say like it canceled? Like, who who canceled this repair job? Right. Was it the, the, the dead girl? You know, and like, I feel that's where I'm like, I don't know that I believe that these are like some amazing detectives. <laughs> like, Denzel looks out the window and sees like, oh, you could see exactly where this victim was sitting, right? And goes across the street. Like, that's like the most like. Check your eye. Exact, check your eye lines. Exact example of like how good of detectives these are. Like, what does right. Rami do in this whole movie that makes you think like he's some credible detective? He's getting pissed off at the uniform cop for not securing the window. He's blaming other people. Yeah. Then doing his job. He's uh, the hot shot, and he's bringing in this dude off the street. He's doing whatever that guy tells him. He invites he's Denzel no into the show. He invites Denzel into the show way too early. Yeah. And it's it's not it's so funny how they're like, don't trust this guy. And then like three seconds later, he's like, listen, I got some evidence I want you to look at or whatever. Like yeah. it's okay, so you clearly aren't listening. I like they, the they suggestion. Don't, they don't set it up well enough that like this spree of murders is like eating at Rami. Right. Like because I think that's that's what they're that's, trying that's to do. That's what we're supposed to believe is why he would allow Denzel in so quickly is right. that he's at his wits end. He can't figure because it out and he, he's looking for any help. He's this angel. He's this this cop who is so driven by his job, who is driven from a moral level to catch these heathens that it is driving him crazy. He's sitting out on his patio at night. You know, his wife goes and sees him sitting out on his patio. Oh, he can't sleep. He can't live with himself because he can't get the job done. And Denzel's trying to tell him like, 
like you need to chill out or you're going to freak out like I did and accidentally kill somebody. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. But it just is. I get what it's trying to do, but it's just not doing it effectively. Mm -hmm. It's like you said, if Jared Leto had been cast as the as the hotshot cop and Rami Malek cast as the freaking weirdo, it might have actually worked better to see like a clean cut, relatively normal Jared Leto slowly descend yeah. into madness. That's something you know Jared Leto can do from top to bottom. Yeah. Right. And that's no. And you know that that's something that he could do effectively because we've seen clean cut Jared Leto. We've yeah. seen him like being a yuppie in American Psycho. And we've seen crazy Jared Leto. Yeah. We've seen the Joker. So we know he can do that. And we know Rami can be creepy. And we know Rami can be creepy. And I just, I, whatever he's doing in this movie, he's just not, you're not Brad Pitt from Seven. Yeah. Like, you're just not. Yeah. And that's what he's trying to be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it is Seven, because it's literally <laughs> the end of the movie, the, the, the quote-unquote killer is taunting the good young cop, and then instead of Seven being like, oh, by the way, this actual terrible thing happened. This movie is dark as shit. Yeah. The little things kind of cops out and Rami accidentally kills him with a home run shovel swing to the head. I guess accidentally. I'm not sure. Yeah. But also like everything is ambiguous and it's just kind of like, well, I guess it's kind of the point. And that sucks a little. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, I, it's, I, again, I would still, I, it's not boring. No, like it's, it, not. it's very watchable, but it's not, you know, it's not great. Yeah. It's not great. So anyway, with all of that being said, before we go, I want to remind you all again that you can get free episodes of the popcorn diet just by hitting the subscribe, hitting that follow button, take a second, hit the button, share us with your good movie buddies out there in the world. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. And consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Not only are you going to help us improve this small little independent movie podcast, but it'll also give you early access and exclusive access to patron-only episodes like our franchise refills and our Oscar primers. I want to give a shout-out to a good friend of the podcast, Andrew Dunn. He, he upped his pledge a little bit for us, and so I wanted to shout him out there. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last... But certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time talking the Golden Globes and Oscar predictions on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.